Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So when I got back, and I've talked about this a couple times, when I got back from conference, I was, um, I was beginning to feel a little bit convicted that uh, the church in our neck of the woods, just in the West, has lost a little bit of our evangelical edge. And what happens when you lose your evangelical edge, when you're not going after people, inviting them into the kingdom, what happens is you become very inward focused and things get very dull, it gets... Um, there's no fresh life from the Spirit moving through a church because God lends strength and power and vitality to people who are reaching new people. So this has been something that I, my conviction about this has been growing. And I also told you when I first told you when I first did a teaching about this, we're not going to start anything now. We're not going to just start planning outreach events. What we are going to do, and some of you have been doing this along me is begin to pray. What does it look like for us to become a people who are not navel-gazing spiritually, but actually looking at the lost world around us and doing something about it? Because we're going to be far more effective um, as a community as we link arms and say there's a lot of lost people in this world and we're going to go after them together. So I'm really excited. The way that God has been answering that prayer as I've been going to him regularly about that is we're going to do, we're going to talk in January about what does it look like for you to be five degrees more intentional with your life as a disciple of Jesus. We're not going to be adding things to your schedule. We're going to ask you to be more intentional with the life you already live, with the people you're already doing life with, with your neighbors, people at work. What does it look like to show up at work or at school with the idea and with the prayer, Jesus, what are you doing? I'm releasing my agenda, and I want to be about your agenda, because that's what makes life interesting. So we're going to be talking about that in January, and I'm really excited about it. And if you guys weren't, haven't been here for it, our first Sunday in January is always more of a workshop-style um, teaching. We give the music team a break, so it's going to be me just casting a vision for this, and it's the neighbor member guide. You're going to hear about, we've changed the order a little bit. Thank you to some people um, who gave me that idea, but neighbor member guide. The neighbor is when we're reaching out, outward focused in the world, looking to bring people into the kingdom. And if we're kingdom minded, we don't have to worry about what happens here at Southside. God will take care of that. We just need to be kingdom minded. So we're going to be talking about that in January. And that'll be the focus for 2023, the neighbor aspect. This last year it was member, and we have hospitality nights up and running, thanks to Pastor Al. We have discipleship pods, thanks to Pastor Al up and running. He's created ways for us to be together outside of Sunday mornings. We have women's ministry now. We have some men's ministry, not nearly as organized and vibrant as the women's ministry, but hey, it's good enough. Next year, we're going to focus on reaching people for the kingdom, and we're going to get very serious about it. So if you've been praying about that with me, when I ask some of you to continue to pray about it, please. We're stepping into the holiday season this week. It's going to be Thanksgiving on Thursday. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, and I usually fly right past Thanksgiving. I'm excited for it. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. I mean, Thanksgiving is a really, 
It's a, it's a fun holiday. Uh, actually, for us, we're having Kara's sister from Columbus come up with her husband. They're great. I'm making pastrami sandwiches for Thanksgiving lunch. It's going to be amazing. And then we'll play board games with them. And then we're going to have the traditional Thanksgiving dinner at my family's house. Um, and then I'm going to bring my sleeping bag and my pajamas, my Christmas pajamas. And we're going to watch the first Hallmark Christmas movie of the year at my parents' house. And I love doing that stuff. Hallmark movie is, if you've they will keep you riveted on the edge of your seat. If, if you've never watched a Hallmark Christmas movie, none of, them, none of them end the same way. It's absolutely amazing. So they're so creative in how they write them, so I hope that you guys will um, maybe join with me this Advent season, watch a holiday, a Hallmark holiday movie. For others, it's not such a, a fun season. Uh, for others, you're, you're grieving the loss of someone. For others, people are, are sick. Maybe people that you care about very much are, are not doing well. And maybe it's, a, it's, it's more sad. You're remembering what things used to be like for you and your family. And it's not as easy. I want a, an Advent series this year, and we're starting Advent a week early. Next, it usually starts next Sunday, but we're gonna, I'm going to introduce it today. And what I want to do is help us to be open to the unexpected ways that Jesus might be showing up this holiday season. Because the truth is, Advent season reminds us that God is personally involved in our lives, whether or not we recognize that. God is not an impersonal, um, uninvolved, distant being. That's what deism is. It's a heresy. It's not true. Deism believes, as some people have said, that when God created the universe, he kind of created it in such a way that he could wind up this big cosmic uh, watch. And he created the internal mechanisms in such a way that as long as he wound it up, he could step back and in kind of a very impersonal way, just watch and see how things unfold. That's deism. It's not Christianity. It's not true. It's the idea that God is not involved personally, wooing us, constantly drawing us, giving us invitation into deeper relationship. He's constantly at work doing that. He didn't wind up the universe and then step back and say, let's just watch what happens. He's interested in the situations in your life. And in fact, in Genesis 1, the word bara, which is the Hebrew word for create, implies sustained action. Sustained action. It implies that God is still invested, still at work. So God not only created the earth, he's also still personally involved. And we see God's personal involvement most clearly through the life of Jesus. In Matthew 1, when the angel announces the news of Jesus to Joseph in a dream, he says he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The problem was Jesus didn't show up the way that people expected him to show up. He didn't show up the way that the, the religious people of that time thought he was going to show up. So many people who thought that they were looking for him missed him. 
And I've done this so many times in my own life. I have an expectation of how Jesus is going to show up in a situation. And I miss how he actually enters into my life as it is right now. So as you're having Thanksgiving meal this Thursday, what would it be like to actually pay attention to how Jesus is showing up, to how Jesus is involved, wooing you, caring for you, caring for your family? What would it look like to pay attention how the kingdom is actually emerging in this gathering around a table? What would it look like for you to be celebrating Christmas morning with your loved ones? And maybe it's not what it used to be. And maybe it feels more alone than what it used to be. What would it look like to pay attention to, in your grief, how Jesus might be showing up? Rather than expecting him to show up in a certain way, to have a sense of curiosity about the time. That, in fact, is the very meaning of Christmas. In the church calendar, it's the first season of the year. It's called Advent. And Advent is the four weeks that lead up to Christmas. And and like I said at the beginning of this, it technically starts next Sunday, but I want to introduce our series, our Advent series today. Advent comes from a Latin word, which means arrival. And it's, it's meant to remind us to look backwards at when Jesus came the first time and then look forwards at to the time when Jesus will return to the earth as promised. And it's a time every year to remind us that Jesus did show up and he continues to show up through the power and through the work of his spirit in our lives. God is not, we aren't deists in this room. We believe that God is personally involved. Our Advent this series this year is called Making Room for the Unexpected Ways Jesus Shows Up and we're gonna look at different characters in scripture and how different people responded when Jesus showed up on the scene. Nobody was expecting him to show up the way that he did. We're going to look at mostly good examples, one bad example in a couple weeks, uh, King Herod, how he responded when Jesus arrived on the scene. If you want to turn your Bibles with me, it's uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, we're going to look at it in movements. And it describes the birth of John the Baptist. It doesn't describe that we're not talking about the birth of Jesus yet. This is, John the Baptist is a precursor to Jesus. He's the one that's going to announce and say, he's here, pay attention. He's here, he's on the scene. And this isn't about me, this is about him. So we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist. And this, I'm going to give a tip of the hat to my spiritual director who uh, some of the, the things that I've learned from him I will be sharing uh, in this teaching today. The point of the sermon is I want us to release expectations of how we think God ought to be at work in our lives and instead live with expectancy that he'll show up in an even better way. I want us to release expectations of how we think God ought to show up in our lives, and I want us to live with expectancy that God will show up in an even better way. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, starting. And we're going to see how God does not meet Zechariah and Elizabeth's expectations. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, I want you to notice two things. One, verse 6, both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So these were people who were doing their best to live the way that God designed us to live. These were people who were trying to walk righteously. These were people who were trying to walk uprightly. They were trying to do the right thing. It's not like they just kind of turned their back on God and things were going really well for them. There's a pattern in scripture um, of when I go through seasons of turning my back on God, sometimes life works better because I think God's enemy likes it when life works when we turn our back on God. Because sometimes, and there's all sorts of psalms about, God, why is it that people who... um, are just not interested in you, not interested in pursuing you at all, like just stiff-arming you. Why is it that things are working out really well for them? And sometimes when we feel like we're trying to do the right thing for God, there is resistance. Life is resisting us. Things are harder. And that's what it was for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both were righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, and yet they were without kids. And kids was the way that God, they believed at the time, God blessed us. So kids were a blessing. They were a gift of God. And so they're probably thinking, and it says they were advanced in years in verse 7. They're probably thinking, we're doing everything right. We don't have kids. And it looks like we probably won't. They were probably disappointed and confused. And in a way, their disappointment and their confusion mirrored what was happening on a larger scale for Israel. because the prophets had stopped speaking for 400 years. Israel was a nation that was used to people speaking on behalf of God to them. And since the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, no one had spoken for 400 years. There were the dark years, there were the silent years, there were no more prophets. And it was eerily quiet. And a very wicked king had come into power, Herod, More about him in a couple weeks. And just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were probably wondering, where are you? Why are you quiet? God wasn't meeting their expectations. He wasn't showing up like he thought they thought he ought to. Now this is a common theme in scripture too. Going through periods and moments of it might feel like a a spiritual wilderness or a desert. Some people call this a, a dark night of the soul where it seems like God is just quiet. In the first two verses of Psalm 13, it says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How many of you have ever felt that way? God, where are you in this right now? Where are you in my life right now? You've gone quiet. I'm trying to push through and make stuff happen, and it's not coming together. Are you here? Are you listening? Are you interested? Are you involved? That's how the nation of Israel felt in this dark season. It must have been how Zechariah and Elizabeth felt as well. God was failing to meet their expectations of how 
they thought he ought to be involved. And our challenge today is to drop the expectations that we have for how God ought to show up in this season of our life and live with expectancy that however he shows up is gonna be better than what our original expectation was. Movement two, Luke chapter one, verses eight through 17. This is where God far exceeds Zechariah's prayerful expectations. What you're about to see is that Zechariah is about to have the single greatest day of his life. It begins with verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, to be on duty at the temple was a highlight for a priest. Every priest, there were 24 divisions, each of them had maybe about 1,000 priests, Every single priest got to work at the temple twice a year, two weeks out of every year. So, and it's what they looked forward to the entire year. It's what they lived their lives for. It's what they waited all year for to actually be at the temple, representing God's presence and guidance and mountain of wisdom and empowerment for life for all of the Israelites. Two weeks out of every year, they got to do this, and this is Zechariah's week. He would have been having, this is a highlight of his year. According to the custom, verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Oh my gosh, it just got better. Not only is Zechariah serving at the temple, one of only two weeks out of every year he gets to do this, he also gets chosen by, by lot, which is kind of like, probably like drawing straws. It's something like that. They chose who was going to be doing what at the temple based on lots, casting lots. And so he drew the straw for getting to burn incense. Now, incense was burned in the morning and the evening between the sacrifice. It, it would have been something that you were offering the sacrifice up to God in an envelope of, of beautiful smelling incense. So morning and evening, and he drew the short straw. Now here's the, here's the it's, it's not six guys standing around drawing straws, it's a thousand priests, and he was chosen. A lot of priests never in their life got to go into the holiest of holies and burn incense. And if you did get to go, you got to go once. It wasn't a common thing. The fact that Zechariah was chosen one out of a thousand to go in and burn incense was incredible. Remember, he was old, and perhaps never, he's never been able to go burn incense, and he'd been waiting, like, okay, I'm getting older. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be serving at the temple. Am I ever going to actually get to go inside and burn incense? Am I ever going to actually see what the holiest of holies is like? He maybe had given up on the idea. You're starting to see that this is a very good day for Zechariah. In the midst of his frustration of how God wasn't meeting his expectations, where he wasn't, they didn't have kids yet. He'd been working at the temple for a long time. He thought he was serving God faithfully and things still weren't working out. God was in the process in this next 30 minutes of making it all worth it. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, 
It's one of your two weeks working at the temple. You were chosen to go into the holiest of holies, which meant something, and to burn incense. People are excited for you. They're praying outside. You walk in, and standing to the right of the table of incense is Gabriel. And when Gabriel shows up on earth, he brings good news. Things are getting really interesting for Zechariah. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." In the span of 30 minutes, God makes up for decades of what had to be frustration and disappointment for Zechariah. But it's not over yet. It gets even better because God has a crucial role for Zechariah's son to play in the kingdom. Let's keep reading. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and, be, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. You're talking to a priest. Gabriel is telling this to a priest who understands the Old Testament, and he hears, your son is going to live in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Have you heard of him, Zechariah? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disappointment and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It's been quiet for 400 years and you know this better than anybody, Zechariah, because you're a priest. You've been waiting with anticipation like everybody else, for there to be another voice, a voice crying out in the wilderness, making the way for the Lord. You've been waiting for this, and it hasn't come. Guess who it's going to be? Your kid. Zechariah's expectations were too small. He wanted a kid, and he got John the Baptist. His prayers were heard, and God answered them far beyond his wildest dreams. God was training him, training us to drop our small expectations and to begin to live with expectancy that God might actually be involved in your life in ways you don't even see. It's a great quote by a great preacher named Timothy Keller. He says, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. It's an interesting statement. God will either give you what you ask for in prayer or he'll give you what you would be asking for if you saw things from his perspective. 
How have you been praying your expectations for God lately? What might it be like for us to drop our expectations and instead live with expectancy? There was one more section that I was planning on getting to this morning. I was in here early this morning going over this, um, and as I got to this last section, I just felt like, I felt like God was saying, yeah, that's enough. You don't need to cover that last section. Let's just start, let's just stop here. And so I just continue to pray, and I um, pray for each of you throughout the week, and I started praying for some of you, and I started praying for the service, and I started praying, God, well, I want to live with the expectancy of how, of how you want to interact, and I think one of the things that God is training me is to be nimble and to be leadable, because there's parts of my heart that still reject and still want to control my own life, and God's saying, be nimble. Allow me to speak. Allow me to lead. So we're going to cut off. We're not going to do the last section. But as I ask God, what, is there anything that you want me to say? Is there anything that you want me to talk about? I sense that there, um, a good way to end this series would be remind people of what God has done here. This building. And we haven't, you know, if, you, if you're fairly new, maybe you haven't heard the, the story. If you, perhaps a lot of you were a part of this story of how God brought this, this place together. And it's a, it's a perfect illustration of how I was praying expectations and God used it to teach me to pray with expectancy. So it was a couple years ago and it was in the midst of the pandemic, we're meeting at the Best Western. And just for a lot of reasons, um, we love the Best Western, we love the people there, they were always so good to us. But for a lot of reasons, we just I began to sense that I think there's going to be a different place for us. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I also sense that when I start acting, when I have a conviction and I immediately start acting on it, it's, prob- it's usually trouble. I'm usually doing the wrong thing. So what I've learned to do is, okay, God, here's what I'm feeling. Before we make any decisions, I'm gonna, I want to know what you're up to. I trust that you will provide something better. We feel like we need to move out of this space I don't know how we're going to ever get a building, but I'm trusting that you're up to something here, that you will make a way. So I started praying expectations. I would go on long prayer walks and drives, and I would start saying things like, okay, God, here's one way that this could happen. There's, there's a bunch of like mainline churches that probably aren't preaching the gospel of Jesus right in downtown there might be an opportunity. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic and there's, you know, the numbers are dwindling. Perhaps they're ready to sell us one of their church buildings for really cheap. Maybe that's a way. Maybe there's, maybe there's a, a building around Worcester that is going to be for sale. Maybe it'll cost a lot to fix it up, but it, um, maybe there's like something available that I don't know about. Because I looked everywhere. When we were planting this church, um, our tap team and our launch team looked everywhere for a building. There was nothing we could find. And I wanted to be in the south end of Worcester. That's where we felt God was calling us. But we had no idea where, where we'd land. So I'm giving God options. It's mainline churches, maybe a warehouse or something. I don't think we can build. And I'm driving to a church in northwest Ohio. It's a Saturday. I'm speaking there the next day. And my mom calls and says, I... I 
think I found our church building. I'm like, that's insane. You guys are hilarious. Where, where is it in Worcester even? Yes. Okay. Is it in South Worcester? It's South South Worcester. Interesting. What is it? What's the building used for? She said, it's a church. We were driving, Dave and I were driving, we drove by this church and it had a for sale sign in the front yard. And I got the number. I called the number. Monday, um, I meet Beth Weaver from Habitat who owned the building and I'm walking through this. There's been a lot of love and care and work that went into the space. It didn't look like this at the time. It was, but the building was, the building was great. It's a new roof. I mean, it looked, I, was, I, I walked through it and I told Beth, I, this is amazing and I, I, I can see us here, but I don't know how it's gonna happen. I, uh, when, like, is, how do we, do we make an offer? How does this work? And she said, well, unfortunately, the bidding starts to, stops tonight at midnight. I'm like, it's Monday. Tonight? And so I go home and I call uh, several people, some mentors, and I call um, the president of our denomination, Rocky, and he says, Grimmy, do you think God's in this? And I said, well, maybe, I don't know. I, I think it's worth at least investigating. And he said, let me talk to somebody. And he talked with, um, we have a loan agency that works, that's partnered with, that came out of our denomination and their president offices at our denomination. So Rocky had him call me. He looked at our numbers and he said, what do you want to offer? And I gave him a number and he's like, well, if they take that, the valuation of this is double the number that you just told me. I said, that's what I feel like we can pay. He said, that's a mortgage. That's a house mortgage. Yeah, you can go ahead and make the offer. You've got the finances to do it. So I put the offer in, and it was a week or two later, I got a call, I was outside, and I, the lady, uh, Beth, who I was working with, called, and she said, you're on speakerphone, the whole Habitat board is here, they wanted to hear me tell you this, because there were, there were several other larger churches that were gonna bid on this property, and they backed out the last minute. Isn't that something? It's yours. See, I was praying with expectations. I was giving God options of how he might choose to answer my request. And I had expectations and ideas that would have not been nearly as good as the small, exquisite, beautiful ways that he answered this prayer. One of my prayers in my journal, I looked back through the ways that I prayed for this building, and one was, it would be really cool to have a view of Worcester. Because I like going outside and walking around the property. I was known for this at my last church, and praying as I'm walking and looking at the people that we're serving. And we've got the best view in Worcester in our backyard. And what I began to learn is the same thing that Zechariah began to learn, is the same thing that I think all of us are beginning to learn, and that is to pray with expectancy. Don't tell God how to do it always. His way's probably better. Don't tell God how to manage outcomes. His way's probably better. Expect that God's gonna show up, that he's in your life. Look for him. Live with a sense of curiosity about where he's moving and what he's doing, and then respond to it. There is no way to live joyfully other than that. There just isn't. You were made for eternity. You were made to live in relationship with God. Apart from that, 
It's all temporal. And you'll never be satisfied. Father, help us to release our expectations this holiday season. We want to be people who live with expectancy that you are with us, you are doing good, and you are doing a good work in us, around us, and through us, no matter how things may appear in the moment. And for those of us who are excited for the holidays, I pray that you would be with us in the excitement, in the joy. And for those of us who struggle with the holidays, I pray that you would be just such a source of comfort and sweet peace and gentle nearness that we know it's you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.